at a certain point, the desire to do it overcomes the fear of failure in not doing it. Gobble, gobble, and welcome back to the Wild Business Growth Podcast, presented by Hippo Direct. I'm your host, Max Branstetter, digital marketing dude here at Hippo Direct, and today we have an extra special Thanksgiving family edition for you. This week, the entrepreneur I am interviewing is Greg Branstetter. He may sound familiar because, one, he's my dad. Two, he's the founder and president of our company, Hippo Direct. And three, if you are a loyal listener and this is not your first episode, you'll recognize his voice from the ads in our previous episodes. If this is your first time listening, you'll recognize him from your first episode. Thanks for tuning in. Throughout the episode, you'll hear about his entrepreneurial story, the origin story of Hippo Direct. You'll hear some life lessons, some of his sports, music, travel, and more memories, and much, much more. The man himself, Mr. Hippo, enjoy the show. Alrighty, we are here from the Hippo Direct in snowy but beautiful Cleveland, Ohio, and this is a very, very special episode. It's Thanksgiving week, so happy Thanksgiving to all of you out there. And we have a special Thanksgiving family edition. I am here with the man, the myth, the legend, the original Hippo Man, Greg Brandstetter, my dad and our president and founder of Hippo Direct. How are you doing today, Dad? I am great, and I'm happy to be on the show. Uh, we're actually sitting here at the same spot where this podcast was conceived just a little over six months ago, so that is a fun thing, and uh, looking very much forward to this episode. All right, so that's a wrap. How was that for your first episode? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> awesome, but yeah, it is pretty crazy, and it's cool these days how quickly you can go from ideation to actual, you know, this is going to be our... 18th episode. So, and many guests already and many more to come. Today, it's all about family. It's all about the Hippo Direct story. And for you listeners out there, we want to give some more sort of peeks behind the curtain, reveal more about what we're about, our backstory, how we came to be, and to be you guys listening to us today. So, Dad, I want to give you some time to, for anybody out there that doesn't know you yet, which obviously, you know, you have millions of followers on Instagram, you have your own YouTube channel. You've been featured in um, People Magazine as the sexiest man alive. There's and a lot there. Fancy. And, and cat fancy there. But for anybody that doesn't know you, can you give a little background of where you came from, sort of what your high school and college was like, what you did professionally, and from there into the Hippo Direct story, how you started? Sure. I was born to a sharecropper family in the Deep South. <laughs> and uh, But seriously... Wonderful middle-class upbringing in southern Indiana with a machinist father, former farmer. My mom was a legal secretary and all sorts of things. We were just, I guess what you would just call an average family. I mentioned their background because I didn't have any entrepreneurial role models in our family. And so we're going to get to this a little bit later. Yeah. But, uh, you know, we worked hard. We cut grass, uh, delivered newspapers, 
Uh, I always think that there are no screw-ups in life who used to have a paper route, and I haven't found <laughs> one yet. So it was great training and always worked through high school. In fact, my dad tried to get me to quit high school baseball to have a job because I, I wasn't getting enough playing time junior year. Oh, man. <laughs> well, that would have ruined your professional MLB career as well. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> at one point in my life, the big crisis was quit or keep playing baseball. And uh, I, I made a wise decision because senior year turned out great, and we wound up going number eight in the state and all the way through to play against Don Mattingly, and it was a fantastic year. And if I had worked that year, I guarantee I'd have zero memories of whatever that job would have been. <laughs> Man, shout out Jeffersonville High School. Yes. <laughs> so anyway, on to college at Indiana University. At that point in time, I thought I was going to get into the world of advertising. Uh, I grew up watching Bewitched and uh, – and then in high school library, I'd read Ad, Ad Age magazine, Advertising Age. And I always thought that was a, a great way to mix creativity and uh, business and marketing acumen. And so that was my goal. So I went to Indiana University Business School, got on a track for brand management, and wound up getting a job right out of college as a management trainee at Pepsi, where I went down in the South and, and uh Performed for several years, a couple years as a closeted Yankee. They didn't know I was from <laughs> up north because I could say y'all and five. And right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so anyway, but as much as as you would later in life, Max, I discovered that I wasn't a corporate guy. I didn't like to mm -hmm. sit in meetings and wait around. And uh, as one Pepsi route driver said, "You ain't no necktie man." And uh, <laughs> A few weeks later, that sunk in, and I said, wow, he's right. So that led to a bit of an odyssey of coming back to the Midwest and um, starting my first failed venture, which was a um, delivery service that really only failed because I gave up on it, uh, but I, I didn't fully commit to it. I had always had an interest not only in marketing and advertising, but also direct mail. I, I I used to read direct mail books, and uh, I was an avid buyer from the Columbia Record and Tape Club as a teenager. They got a lot of my a lot of my uh, newspaper route money. I just loved the catalogs and the brochures that would come through the mail, and uh, in a in a strange way, it was kind of like a it was a gateway to the larger world. I used to get Cream magazine and. Uh, and some other music magazines out of New York, and it was kind of like my secret world that I could discover all these things through offers that came to me in the mail. Huh. Well, it's not a secret anymore. This is on the record, so whoops. <laughs> there yep. goes your childhood. There goes my childhood. <laughs> yeah, so anyway, uh, I had an interest in that, came to Cleveland, got hooked up with a guy who was a direct mail publisher. We sold books and newsletters through the mail, and uh, really, for about a three-year period, it was it was uh, like my MBA in direct marketing. I got to to do a little bit of everything, from copy creation to conceiving new products to launching to analysis, and then came to the point of time where we had generated a decent-sized mailing list. So I started to to rent that list and broker that list as well, and that's where I found the portion of direct mail that I really liked. Hmm. And then uh, fast forward a few years, I had reached a point in time where this desire to start a business was burning inside of me, and I realized that I no longer wanted to work for anybody else. And so uh, I took the plunge, uh, 
This was about the time that you were being conceived or <laughs> thereabouts? I, I don't remember that time specifically. <laughs> right. We might want to brush over that. <laughs> but uh, uh, interestingly, for any would-be entrepreneurs out there, I mean, there, there is a school of thought that the best time to do these things is when you've got nothing else to lose. And when you don't have that much money, then you don't miss not having money. And so right. uh, we found a way, your mom, Joanne, and I did all sorts of things over the first few years to generate enough cash to pay the mortgage and and, uh, <laughs> and our car payments and all that sort of stuff that people need to do. But anyway, there came a point where I decided I just got to do this because I think I could. So I really honed in on working with companies who sold through the mail and providing them with mailing list, research recommendation of the, of the list which they could use to build their business. Wow. It's really, really cool how there was kind of such humble beginnings and there was a time where you guys didn't have much money and you, there was a lot of challenges and there was a lot of, wow, we got a kid here. We got another one on the way in the not too distant future. We really got to put things together. How did you have the, and build that confidence in that time to go out on your own and create something of your own rather than find some sort of a, you know, like a cushy job or somewhere that you could have a dependable salary and income? Well, I'm not fully certain where it all comes from. I just know that, <laughs> a, that at a certain point, the desire to do it overcomes the fear of failure in not doing it. I, I remember vividly back at startup days, a couple of things, you know, I went to SCORE, the senior core, retired executives, and I was told by about three guys that this wouldn't work, and uh, I would say that probably at least eight out of ten people that I talked about when I started my business tried to advise me against it because they said that that <laughs> it's just not going to work. But right, uh, I think it's a classic entrepreneur thing. You you just get hard headed and determined, and you say, "Damn it, I'm going to do this," and I know that I have a valuable service to offer people. Uh, I happened to choose a couple market segments that were not sexy enough for the big firms in New York City to want to chase. And so I was able to become a big fish in a small pond and grow from there. So the second part about confidence, sort of at the start, there's a little bit of bluster there and, and you have to pretend that you know more than you do. But then uh, before you know it, you actually do more, know more than you do. And uh, when you do something a couple hundred times, then your confidence really grows. And also when you have a satisfied client who refers you to another client or that satisfied client goes to another firm and works with you there, then those things all give you confidence, further confidence that you're doing the right thing. And on that fish note, we're going to stick with the animal themes here, being such a wild company. Hippo Direct, I get this question all the time. I'm sure you get this question all the time, too. Where did the name come from? Well, the name came because uh, when I started the company, I originally had two divisions, uh, and we called it Heights International Publishing. Uh, we sold books and tapes and all sorts of things. And then the mailing list was the second part of the business, and I knew nobody anywhere would ever remember Brandstetter Direct Marketing. Well, I remember. <laughs> <laughs> Us Brandstetters remember that. That's the first thing we look at every morning. <laughs> but I also thought, wow, every time somebody talks to that hippo guy, they're going to remember hippo. So I took the HIP acronym, yep. wanted something fun and playful, and it turned out to be one of the, a, a really, really great decision. 
That's the true story of the name. And now all our listeners are satisfied, and I'm sure we'll never get the question again. Hippos, we're surrounded by hippos, by the way. Thank you guys for coming. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so you've got the name. You've got the, at this point, you've got sort of an idea for the company. Things are in action. The wheels are moving. At what point along the way, how early on did you realize this would be a sustainable business and something that would last, you know, not just a couple of years, but now into its its third decade and now into its second generation? Well, I think the first time would probably be when I uh, was generating enough cash flow and positive money to actually start to hire somebody else. Because when we started, it was all me. Uh, Jimmy Buffett sometimes refers to himself as the original Coral Reefer band when he plays solo guitar. (laughs) And that was me. It was answer the phone, talk to them, type up something, stick it in the fax machine back when that was our quick communication, do the invoicing later. So I wore, I I, I did it all. And then uh, my sister Mindy uh, became available and she came in and that's probably the first step of saying, hey, this might work to also have enough confidence to bring somebody else and someone else's household into play mm-hmm. to say, hey, uh, this is a job. Yeah. This is, you make the transition from I need a little help to this is a job and we got one for you. And then there was a second wave a few years later when Andy joined the company uh, because we had grown enough that I could split the client support between two of them. Right, absolutely. And shout out Aunt Mindy, shout out Mom Joanne, shout out my cousin Andy. Well, I guess technically your first cousin's son, my second cousin, <laughs> just to get intricate with the cousins here. Anyway, though, do you remember what year it was? Do you remember when it was when, when Mindy came on and then when Andy came on? I know. I think was- Mindy was 94, 1994, and Andy was probably 95 or 6. We could look that up, but it's somewhere in, in there. Mindy and Andy, uh, Mindy and I were actually in New York City walking the streets of a trade conference and uh, talking to Andy on a cell phone uh, when when we when he accepted the position. So it is it is kind of interesting. I don't know if we'll get into all this, but there have been f- like three or four moments throughout our company history where, where New York City played a part in it. And right. um, oh yeah, I can. And and, that. and now <laughs> you are uh, in Manhattan, so it is interesting how the, the some of these places or themes and people uh, are, are woven through the decades. Uh, but back right. to your earlier question, the, in my wildest imagination, I didn't think I would be still involved with this 25 plus years down the line. We, we used to take it in three to five year increments and say, hey, if we can keep this going for that, then that'll be a great thing. Um, I know that's not the proper way to strategically plan a business, but that's the way it, it mm-hmm. evolved and kind of five-year chunks right yeah speaking of evolution i think you know you always hear about the entrepreneurial pivot and and that's that's a really nice evolution into my question here so thank you (laughs) hippo direct has pivoted over the years and added new services and um, worked with clients in a lot of different industries can you dive into that a little bit sort of your experience leading the charge there and what that's been like being open to new ideas and being open to pivoting and then actually going forward and saying, hey, we're actually, we're going to offer an official service here. This is going to be a new business line for us. Okay. Well, uh, there's really two components to that answer. One is in terms of what kind of service we've offered over the years and the changes there. The second is 
which industries or types of clients have been at the top of our client list at any given point in time. And as I look at this now here in my uh, sage old years, I, uh, <laughs> sage is right. Sage. <laughs> uh, as I move toward Yodaness, uh, <laughs> I look not quite there yet. <laughs> I look back and and see uh, that the common theme is that we've always helped our clients find new customers in one way or another. Mm-hmm. First, that started with postal mailing list. Then a decade later or so, uh, that that included email lists or email marketing uh, at various points in time, and we're circling back to this. That's included some lead generation. And then this wonderful thing called the internet came out uh, that's only taken me about 15 years to fully (laughs) understand (laughs) all the things that I'm missing out on from it. Yeah, should I teach you how to use the Google machine later? Yeah, I I, I got that. Um, But so anyway, the the pivots on on that part are trying to stay relevant, but also to offer the services that clients are you are, are looking for uh, from a marketing point of view and as you know we're, uh, we're expanding to get into uh, a lot more things related to content creation and, mm-hmm. and SEO and social media marketing um, and, and so there just are a lot more crayons in the box now I uh, <laughs> I brought a box of crayons uh, which I want to talk about later uh, you were prepared for this a very colorful approach on your end <laughs> yeah but but the point is as an analogy just as as really no forms of media go away there's still radio TV uh, print newspapers there are still magazines that some do very well I think that is going to be the case with all these marketing methods uh, postal mail is not going away uh, email is not and until such point in time that the U.S. government starts to charge for it. <laughs> and even then, which I do think is going to happen, yeah. uh, even then it will be around in some way or, or form. So mm-hmm. uh, because ultimately marketing is about catching your prospect's attention in the medium that they want to pay attention to. So those of us that are in the business of helping clients find new customers, it's very difficult if you're just in one of those mediums. Yeah. So that was kind of a long answer to part A of that. The other part was what types of industries uh, or types of clients. We, for years, worked um, with a lot of book publishers, um, newsletter publishers, which became information publishers, and a lot of them now are content marketers. Um, Specialty products companies uh, morphed into a lot of online training. Uh, what used to be the old tech companies now are a lot of online learning. So it's, it's a, a mixed bag in that regard. Let's pivot as we do here. We'll pivot into a segment on family business. So I find it really interesting what you said earlier. So for your upbringing, by, by anybody's description of an entrepreneur or the characteristics of an entrepreneur, like you are a true 100% entrepreneur to the core. And you mentioned that you didn't really grow up with anyone in your immediate family being entrepreneurial, totally in that position or big entrepreneurial role models for you or in your, in your direct household. I'm kind of on, complete on the other side of that, whereas I grew up literally with the business. You guys were, were working out of our basement or out of a room in our house and literally... It, 
any time that I was home, you know, that office and, and you guys were working nearby and you've always been that entrepreneur. So I literally grew up in the same house of an entrepreneur and sort of grew up with this family business. So family business has always been a thing that's very important to me. I know it's something that uh, a lot of our listeners are working with and have, have passion about as well. Can you speak a little bit about the positive side of family business? What, what are your favorite parts of working with family and, and, and working with me? Probably like 15 reasons. No, I'm just kidding. No, but what are your favorite parts of, of working with family? The big positive of working with family is that you have a level of trust that is almost impossible to equal with strangers. Mm-hmm. It takes a long period of time because no matter what happens in the business, if you're family members, you're always going to be family members. So when you get mad at somebody or if you have a difference of opinion or you say, you know what, I don't think I need that person anymore. It's not the same as dealing with a stranger. Right. There's also probably a component that I don't see because of my role, but I don't see it as much, is that there's a sense of togetherness and we're kind of on this common journey and that you're building a family history and and right. uh, the, but the other part there is is it affords opportunities uh, for multiple elements of the family uh, and you're starting to see some of this benefit as well is suddenly you can travel together more as a family and, and still stay on top of work or do work things or the this particular visit from you to Ohio probably wouldn't have been possible two years ago, given mm-hmm. your, your other job. and Oh, totally, yeah. So uh, I think there's a, a lot of, of freedom there. And there, there's probably on the, the one other component of the family thing is there's just more, I don't know if I want to say forgiveness uh, or forgiveness of each other's faults or, you know, we, we are who we are and, yeah. and so forth. So I, uh, I think it's love. I think love is the word. Okay. <laughs> oh, I, we'll, I, make this, we'll make this a real tearjerker here. I try not to use that outside the context of, <laughs> uh, of my tearjerker movies. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We've been, uh, just for, for anybody listening, we, we prepared for this. We pre-gamed with the notebook. So that's why we're a little... Wrong. <laughs> but trust the trust trust is definitely there. And I think what I'm very thankful for is, you know, you, you speak frequently with, with uh, everybody in our staff and our family. You speak frequently. The communication is really, really good, even though that we're spread out across the country in, in different offices is, you know, we're all we're all working from home or we're in different areas. But with that, you allow us a high degree of autonomy. Like you really have that I think everyone really feels that trust from you, you know, when something needs to get done, some, uh, like a specific thing for, for a client or, or anything like that, and you will have a meeting or sometimes there's rush orders, things like that. But in general, in terms of brainstorming, in terms of the, the daily workload for anyone, you really let everybody handle their business and you, you have that trust in us that will take care of things and knock them out. And it's the same way from us back towards you. How was that adjustment coming from doing everything yourself at the start to sort of delegating things and letting other people run wild, as we like to <laughs> say here? Well, I'm 25 years into that, and I wish I had a better answer. I perpetually feel that I don't delegate enough, and I think almost everybody <laughs> would agree with that. So I uh, I don't know that I'm ever going to fully get that. And I think part of it, and this goes back to the core of when you start your own business, most yeah. people start their own business because they're really good slash really passionate about some type of work. Right. And 
I always wanted to be a doer rather than a manager. Like so many things, there's two sides of that equation. Um, the good news is that meant that you had a real key veteran staff person working with all these clients, even the, the lowest volume clients in, in many mm-hmm. cases, yep. getting access to the to the best thinking and, and most experienced, and, and that's that's unusual. The flip side of that is I should have spent more time over the years coming up with um, delegation plan and but we can't go and undo the past, and uh, part of that was just need. Part of that was identifying where the roles are. One of my favorite business books ever was called The E-Myth, which I know you've heard people yeah. talk about. Yeah. But basically, no matter what stage a small business is in, all of these roles have to be fulfilled from sales, marketing, uh, HR, accounting, uh, logistics operations, all that sort of stuff technology. And uh, when you're the startup, you're wearing all those hats. And then eventually you have, to, you have to have an org chart in your head, and then you have to give away portions of that. I've probably been more successful than that than I am uh, aware of. I'm, I'm a very tough critic of myself, as you've seen. <laughs> yes, um, this and, is true. And um, so I think that's the underpinnings of it. And the more you do it over time, the easier it gets. I heard. I don't even know where I heard this recently, so I don't know whose phrase this is. But somebody said that that a small business can only grow as large as the ego of its founder. Which is why we are the biggest company in the world. <laughs> <laughs> but but, no, but that that uh, that that note resonated to me because I have been able to vastly exceed what I thought would be financial reward when we started this. Mm-hmm. I shattered years ago what I thought wasn't was possible. Yeah. And so when you get into that zone, there is a tendency in life, unless you're driven to just keep saying, I gotta grow twenty percent every year and, and I've got to double my business. Right. I did not have those ego needs. Mm-hmm. I was happy doing what we were doing and and coaching sports and having you kids grow up and then following your journeys. And so this is not a complaint. It's just fact. And at some point in time, your priorities can shift a little bit. Now Mm -hmm. that life has changed a little bit in terms of, not you know, we're empty nesters and <laughs> have a, a lot more freedom. Right. Um, not this week. Not, the, not this, this week. This week, you got to de- change our diapers and, you know, <laughs> take us take us to the movies and things like that. It's funny that you said that because <laughs> one of the, I was going to, my, my big joke line at the start was going to be, I think I'm the only guest on this podcast who has changed your diaper. Oh. <laughs> oh yeah, revealing some <laughs> dirty secrets here, but yes, that is true. <laughs> yeah. to, oh my to god this point in time good yeah good memories we're not going to reenact that for the you know for the sake of time and for that only but <laughs> i'm thankful that you changed our diapers and that you paid attention to us growing up because well, your mom changed yeah. most of them I, I want the record to be accurate all right let's fix the record uh well yeah but I am very thankful and very appreciative growing up that you guys maintain such a, a great balance and that you worked very, very hard and obviously built this business over years, but you never, it, it never got to the point where you were one of these people that just is, you know, traveling all the time and never sees their kids and never, 
you know, it just doesn't have that family time, family time, which I know can be really, really, really tough and a big compromise and or sacrifice for so many hardworking people out there. So I was very, very thankful for that. And I think part of that, well, obviously a lot of it is your mentality, but part of that is being in the entrepreneur space and in working from home as well as well as having that sort of flexibility there. Yeah, well, that's really nice to hear. And it, it also helps me redefine success a little bit more because we do have great relationships with you and Andrew and <laughs> and <for> <laughs> and uh, I just had a conversation with somebody this morning whose life got way out of balance and uh, lost his family because he worked too much right yeah. and so uh, you know this whole work-life balance it's a thing and um, I don't know at what point in an entrepreneur's career it comes in but probably um, three to five years down the line, it's something that everybody should really take a real hard look at is mm-hmm. to um, how you're going to do the work-life balance. Uh, because otherwise, the tendency is to go to type A and it's just push, 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 and then you get burned out and then all your personal relationships suffer. So mm-hmm. sometimes enough is enough uh, in terms of money, and uh, and that's been the case for us. I did yeah. want to go back to... Uh, two things on the on the family side yep one other benefit of our family business and the way we grew up is is as when you you guys were young your mom could be part of the business she started doing the accounting early on so when you had the family business you can actually have a little kid on the floor playing with balls or, or whatever <laughs> kids do and as long as I wasn't going through balance sheets and right <laughs> messing up QuickBooks cooking the books <laughs> um, but a lot of people nowadays really, really strive for that. And so right. what we were doing back in the early to mid-90s is seen as something that's really, really important now or really desirable to a lot of people. The Internet didn't exist when we started this, so we you couldn't – it wasn't all clear how, how you could do the work from home. Uh, but I was surrounded by neighbors who had big corporate jobs with banks and, and General Electric and doctors and lawyers. And even at the start, I just felt more secure in my future than theirs because I felt like I was in control of it. So I don't know if that's insanity or if that's just part of the whole entrepreneur thing that it's like, you know what, I'm, I'm driving this ship and I know where I want to go. And then I feel comfortable doing that. Mm hmm. It's, <laughs> I'm still, I'm, I still have images of me trying to cook the books as a little kid <laughs> running around there, but it is, yeah, you guys were real innovators from the, from the family standpoint and that was way ahead of its time and it is really desirable now. That's, that's a great lesson. Was there one more thing you want to hit on family? Or? Well, I was just going to say, I went and double checked some stats this morning on, on, um, family businesses and the succession there and, um. According to Family Business Review magazine, only about one in three of family businesses make it to a second generation. So we're already in the upper third percentage, uh, third by doing that. That's incredible. And only about 12% make it to a third generation. So... uh, the odds are even yeah. more aligned against you. Unless drops you, drops down every single unless time. you start replicating soon and, and get your kids <laughs> involved in the business at a very early age. No pressure. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I will see you guys later. <laughs>
Hi, this is Greg Brandstetter, founder of Hippo Direct. Has all this wild growth talk made you hungry for some new customers? Well, here's your recipe for success. Hippo Direct can help you acquire new clients using proven methods such as postal mailings, email marketing, and targeted ads on Google, Facebook, and LinkedIn. We can even create a customized leads and prospecting database for you. So check out hippodirect.com and contact us today. I want to hit on some lessons real quick that you've taught me and have been instrumental to my upbringing, my career, my, my very long and illustrious career so far, but I think could be valuable for anyone. I want to share some of your dad wisdom okay. <laughs> on that. So first one, one of the biggest ones that pops in my mind when I think of things that you've taught and passed down to me was learning from failure. And in thinking back to school and in sports and especially in sports as um, I, my NFL wide receiver hybrid career with MLB outfielder didn't quite pan out. There's a lot you can learn from failure and you can't be afraid to fail. And I, you repeated that lesson to me over and over again to the point that I've never been, uh, never been afraid to try anything new because I've never been afraid to fail and you can always take some positives from failure. But one of, one of my favorite stories, little tidbits there is thinking back to baseball, you know, played travel baseball and you were a coach for, for several years when I was younger, but I was always kind of a shy, sort of timid little kid and wouldn't, wouldn't lay myself out there, wouldn't, wouldn't dive for balls at the start, wouldn't throw very hard or things. And you really got me to put in everything, put in as much effort as I could out there on the field. And I specifically remember one time, I, I hadn't really fully laid out for a ball or, or tried to scale a wall or anything to catch a ball in the outfield. And we're playing some travel tournament around here. I think it was about an hour away. And I'm playing center field. This guy hits the ball. And it's going way over my head, and, and I'm thinking, oh, shit, I'm not going to get this. And I'm like, yeah, but, but but I might get this. So I turn around. I'm rolling like a freight train towards the wall behind me, and I am almost there. I see the ball coming down. I, I start to reach up, and I'm thinking, I can catch this thing. And before I could even fully raise my arm, boom, I ran into the fence in the outfield. And I didn't make the catch, and it ends up being that – if I had planned better, I probably could have, might have had a chance to rob it. But I ran into the wall, and uh, as I was going for it, and the ball, it turned out to be a home run. And I, my, my first thought was, oh, shit. I just gave up a home run where I should have caught it. And I wasn't even thinking about it. But I heard from the dugout, I hear you yelling. Somehow from across the field, I hear you yelling, nice job, Max. Nice effort. Nice job. Way to go, Max. And and I'm thinking at first, I'm like, well, this is crazy. I didn't I didn't make the play. But that was really, really powerful for me because it was like, hey, I, I dove for it. I tried. I put in that effort. And if you flash forward into you know, my next few, next probably five to six years of baseball, there were many diving catches I made and many times that I laid out and made some great plays there in the field. And that was a key instrumental moment. But I've taken that lesson and, and story and kind of applied that to the business and non-baseball world as well. So before I tell this story for another three hours, <laughs> can you speak a little bit about your experiences with failure and learning from failure and why that can be so valuable? Well, two things uh, <laughs> on that. Um, one thing I note to any parents is that you seldom realize at the time you say stuff what's the most impactful things to your kids. So, <laughs> yeah. so be careful what you say and when. Uh, because, <laughs> careful what you wish for. <laughs> because you never really know the things that can impact. I think in the, in the story you just told, 
there was a vulnerability there for you, and so that's probably why it, it hit yeah. it hit home. But uh, no baseball pun intended, uh, right? <laughs> but the thing about sports, and part of why I was, was such a sports nut, it is one area in life where you're allowed to fail, and you can just go back the next day and say, "Let's try again." And I loved that growing up as a player. I loved it again as a coach, and I think that every kid should be playing some kind of sport because you're allowed to not always win. And, mm-hmm. yeah, everybody wants to win. It's a cliche I've heard, but it, you, you really do learn more from failing than you do succeeding because you realize that there's something that you did that isn't as good as you could do. And um, yeah. in, in a business setting, it's kind of – well, let me just go back uh, – when I went to Indiana University, they had a basketball coach named Bob Knight that I, I know you're familiar yes. with, and, yeah, and uh, others <laughs> mentioned him on this show. Knight had a different approach to basketball than a lot of coaches. He, he would always talk about playing against the game and that you were trying to remove mistakes. And the more mistakes you could remove, then the better you could play and the, the greater your chance of success. Um, Bill Barcells had a similar approach in yeah. football and, and, and others. <laughs> Shout out to Tuna. Uh, there's that whole idea. So it's some of it, it's how you define failure. When you fail at something, it doesn't mean you're a loser. It just means you didn't achieve what you wanted to do. And so you have to step back and say, well, what part of that could I have done better? And going back to the business situation, mm-hmm. Uh, for most startups that don't make it, the, uh, usually they didn't they didn't make it for uh, one of two reasons: either they weren't able to generate enough sales, or they weren't able to manage their money. And so, uh, an entrepreneur has to figure out where where's my weakness, and get somebody else to to compensate for you in that regard. And um, if you try to go after a business and don't get it, well, there's a lot of companies out there that can still work with you. So um, I, I think a large part of the, the whole failure thing is, is, is in how you define it. It's, uh, I've heard a quote recently, it's only failure is only permanent if you let it be or something along those lines. Right. But, uh, but, uh, yeah. We can get that tattooed later. We'll get matching uh, <laughs> failure quote tattoos. <laughs> It's so true. Another lesson that was, I remember being very instrumental with my schoolwork, um, especially as I got to college, but then started my professional career as well. And you get thrown into this world where there's so much stuff flying around and you, you know, everybody's got shiny object syndrome. So it's tempting to try to do everything and try to multitask at once. Pretty early on, I think it was elementary school or maybe, you know, orchard middle school, fifth and sixth grade around here. You would tell me multiple times it was that you can't do everything sometimes you know there there's only so much you can do in a day there's only so much you can do in a single setting and there's always there's always stuff to do but the worst thing you can do is just sit there and not do anything and sometimes when there's a lot going on you have to sacrifice some of the other minor things and say okay maybe I'm not going to I'm not going to be able to get to this till next week it's not the end of the world and you're typical work day here and, and with our clients at Hippo Direct, how do you prioritize and focus on a few things each morning as opposed to trying to tackle the world and save the world every single day? 
Well, I'm going to answer this one in two ways as well. It's, it's kind of the, the theme. <laughs> the double I'm, I'm like, uh, this is two episodes in one. It's really it's two. Yeah, it's like there's a meta episode underneath the real episode. Yeah, <laughs> with your host Greg Branson interviewing Max. <laughs> yeah, and if you play it backwards, there's a third episode. <laughs> um, Kendrick Lamar over here. So the first part is it's sort of the mentality of a diner or a busy restaurant, and that is when the order is placed and the order is up, you have to serve it while the food's hot. Uh, you've got you've got to respond. So yeah. always. When we had an active client request or we're in the middle of a, of a project for a client, that takes priority over everything. Um, if, if an inquiry has to sit for a few hours, then so be it. But it's the active client, the active customer takes priority number one. Mm-hmm. That's the first part of the answer. Then the second part is, and this is something that I learned from my old mentor, Jim Lord, back in the 80s in that direct mail publishing company. And that is, and this is critically true for, for a small business, is that when you have a choice between two or three things to do, you should focus on the thing that's closer to bringing money inside your door. Uh, because <laughs> cash flow is so critical, especially in the early years, and people can get off on all kinds of detour. You get off in the weeds on things you'd want to do, but cash is like oxygen to a young business and if you're not constantly thinking about what can we do to bring cash in then that's where companies can get in trouble and so i don't think in that mindset every single day but i would say at least once a week i'll still go back to that and say okay which is closer to bringing bringing in cash yeah and oxygen is very important it's shout out oxygen for being a big factor on this podcast (laughs) <laughs> the last lesson here is well, we'll call this a, a redeeming quality your 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 natural your your charismatic demeanor and but no seriously from a from a social aspect and being being sociable aspect and having that confidence in communications i i know you've you've always said and you told me stories about your kind of your upbringing where you wanted to get to the point, especially after college and especially as you were going on your own business ventures where you could walk into any room and strike out a conversation with anyone. You want to have that ability. And I think many times when we are out to, to restaurants eating dinner and or maybe it's sometimes just being in an elevator with, with random people, um, there's always that awkward silence that everybody dreads. And you're always the guy to, to make some sort of corny joke or something or to interact with someone or ask a question with someone. And yeah, sometimes, you know, sometimes, they're, sometimes they don't land and some people are so focused on something else that they don't respond or they, they're like, whoa, what's this guy doing talking to me? But most of the time, I feel like it, it comes off very well and people think of you as being very social, very, very charismatic and fun to be around. How did you develop that confidence to, to go into any room? and strike up a conversation with anyone. Well, I think part of that came from watching my father do that on a on a lesser level. He would not have defined himself that way. <laughs> but uh, Shout out Freddie. Fred can talk, and he has lots of Fredisms, <laughs> and whenever we went to the store or to a basketball game or whatever, he's off in a conversation with somebody. And so that was part of it. But uh, as you mentioned, going off to IU, I think, I knew that communicating with strangers was going to be an important aspect of my business life, so I focused on that. 
I, and I also, uh, the analogy back to sports is I sort of made a game out of it, is to see uh, what can happen when you talk to somebody. What's the worst thing they can do? All they can do is ignore you or give you a face or, or right. whatever. It's like, so what? Right, you, know, you don't right. want to talk? But I've, <laughs> 95% of the time, I get more out of that than I'm giving because the conversations go off in these incredible areas where people will tell you stuff and something, I don't know, I, I sometimes I'll joke, I'm saying, like, I'm the guy that people just tell stuff to. <laughs> but maybe it's because I'm the guy who just said hello or nice shoes or where'd you get that hat or something stupid like that. Right. Yeah. I mean, you're the first one I went to when I got that tramp stamp down in Venice Beach. <laughs> <laughs> but then, you know, I see this through you and what you did at IU and presentations and I and clearly you're taking this to new levels and mm-hmm. you have a confidence communicating that I could not approach at your age in life. So it's rewarding to me to see that. And that, um, that kind of leads into another area, which is that I never really anticipated that I would have a son that would be interested in so many of the same things. Um, right. Um, which is, a, it's a nice surprise. Yeah. Well, happy to, <laughs> I'm happy to be your nice surprise. <laughs> we'll call it that way. Um, shout out DNA, but also, no, I, I, a lot of that goes back to your upbringing and how influential you were. And it's, I have to say that's a lot of the cool stuff we're interested in, a lot of the same things. Let's get to, let's move on to inspiration and creativity. Let's see what what makes you work. What's be, What's behind the mind of Greg here? So first question here, when you think of business, and this could be growing up or it could be uh, more recent years, who has been the most influential and inspirational person to you in the business world? Well, I certainly don't have one single role model. I read a lot, and uh, mm-hmm. the books by Tom Peters were really big in the, in the 80s. Uh, basically, two ideas of customer service or customer focus and the fact that you could start a business. You know, We've kind of come full circle in this country now with things like Shark Tank and, and others, but it's not always cool to own a business in America. And <laughs> there was a time in the early 80s where it wasn't cool, and then uh, the Reagan taxes kicked in and the economy got better, and Peters and uh, had books out, and Lee Iacocca was everywhere, all the commercials about the renaissance of Chrysler, mm-hmm. and suddenly business was a fun thing to do, and you'd see lots of magazines by guys like Ted Turner, uh, who founded TBS and what became CNN and all of that kind of jazz, but there was a lot of, in, in the business culture about people who started companies, and, and so I, I would read all of that stuff, and I really liked liked what those guys were doing then I would read books about some other people there was a guy named Hawken who has a book called growing a business which was care and nurture nurturing cultivating your company treating your customers and your employees uh, almost more like a, a farmer's approach to doing the right thing right so so that that's part of it uh, inspiration I'm probably more inspired by music than I am uh, yeah. the, the written word. I've been listening to every kind of music since, except for soft rock. Sorry, but <laughs> so I sorry, will confess that that I fans, did but... have albums by Dan Fogelberg when I was in high school. I knew uh, you were a Dan Fogelberg fan all these years. <laughs> yeah. So uh, anyway, but 
that that is uh, that's something key and that's i mean obviously as as a podcast we're big audio fans in general there's now it's kind of interesting to see people splitting their time between podcasts and music but in the music space there's there's nothing like music it's it can be so inspiring can you speak a little bit about who your favorite bands of all time maybe just what would you say top three bands of all time well, I'm going to say that in the context of inspirational because yeah. when I and creativity because right. I I didn't want to just listen to uh, Sticks and Foreigner on the radio over and over again. <laughs> I like really really like bands who did lots of different kinds of things, who had members who were constantly growing and evolving. Uh, one example was the Talking Heads. They started as one kind of music mm-hmm. and evolved, and David Byrne was was way ahead. Uh, the Police, those first three albums, those guys were so far ahead of whatever was going to happen. Uh, the Clash, I like them. Early Queen, up till about the We Will Rock You stage, I think those those guys were as good as anything. But even other yeah. bands, you know, like Zeppelin and the Stones, they kind of were same formulas but the but they were constantly trying to be a little bit better and i forgot elvis costello who was a big thing for me like in his first five albums and there's another guy who started off in one area but just kept evolving and and uh, i read a lot of biographies of musicians in fact i just got the roger daltrey book which is phenomenal and i'm pouring right through it Uh, it's half the size of pete townsend's Autobiography, by the way, which probably says <laughs> says something about those two. <laughs> yeah. uh, wow. Uh, but anyway, I like the fact that because these guys, they are entrepreneurs of a sort. They're artisans, mm-hmm. and they really care about what they do. And they, at, at a certain point, they just have to create. They are creators, and I have the most respect for the creators who continue to evolve. And right. I've seen some of that, and you know, you like guys you listen to, like Wiz Khalifa and some others. <laughs> I was not expecting a Wiz reference on this. Uh, yeah. Did I say Khalifa? That's not his. No, name. it's right. Yeah, is it right? Yeah, you, you, it you sounded were, wrong even it when good. it was right. <laughs> <laughs> Wiz, yeah, <laughs> shout out Wiz. But yeah, no, there's a lot of innovators across genres now, and I and I like a lot of the same classic rock and then into the grunge rock that that you like, and that's always kind of been my first love. But there are, it's kind of. Uh, now you hear people talk about the culture and it's all about hip hop. There's a lot of innovators in the hip hop space, especially now. It, it's it's really fascinating. I really like that parallel you made between music and business because it turns out that no matter what industry you're in, it's all about disrupting and how you can stand out and how you can stand out from all the clutter. So that's that's really really cool that you've taken you've you've viewed music not just as an escape or as a as something to listen to you've really funneled that and used some of that as as energy for your business life which is really really cool yeah and while you're saying that i just thought of like a like a third component of the inspiration creativity thing and that is travel um mm-hmm. you know you and andrew grew up as traveling little uh, little kids going all over at that point america right and, and canada north america yep um but then we started to travel the world, and I know from your experience as well, I mean, every trip you take somewhere, you see things or you start to think a little differently about something. But you go, you, earlier you mentioned about confidence. It's like, man, in your case, going to London, Andrew's going to uh, to Costa Rica, and then later Germany. It's like when, yeah. when, a, when a young person goes off and gets in a world that is completely foreign to them and you sort of make your way there, it's like, I can do anything. 
Totally. And so yeah. the the person who just stays in a trailer park or on their street their whole life mm -hmm. can't even imagine the benefits that you get when you travel the world. Oh my God, it's insane. I really like when you go and see new places, especially different continents. It it feels like you're almost like expanding your brain. It feels like you're adding another layer to your brain because it's like this whole this whole part of the world that you may not have known much about before didn't or even if you think you do, you don't really know it until you go there and experience it that there's a whole world out there and it is amazing so many people and it's unfortunate so many people never get to travel or move around at all so much. But it's uh, I, I totally am on the same page with that. There's so much benefit in seeing new places and it's it's a lot of fun. But it really when you look at a lot of the big name successful people out there, a lot of them have strong you know, travel history and strong international ties. So it's, it's pretty impressive. Last thing on inspiration and creativity here, you meant, so music and travel, I guess those kind of fall in the hobbies bucket. Any other hobbies that stand out to you? I know you're very active and, uh, and you played a lot of sports growing up and you still play tennis a lot and, and pickleball, shout out pickleball down in Florida. Um, any other hobbies that come to mind, things that you like to do when you're, when you're not working? Well, this is going to sound really boring, but I, I really enjoy a long walk. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I had a long walk the other day and I wasn't trying to think about business, but three really good business ideas popped in about 20 minutes in out of nowhere. Bam. So I know you've had, um, you've had other guests on the podcast who talk about that, but there yeah. is definitely something to turning your brain on automatic and doing something physical to sort of allow the things to percolate to the surface. Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, Great work, I don't man. know if any of the younger people know about the Magic 8-Ball. If, if, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the physical thing, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's the pro it's probably kinda, like an iPhone app now. but kind of shook it around <laughs> and, and something came up. But So there is something uh, something to that. And we have bikes that we're going to ride in Florida someday. That was for Joanne. So, uh, there we uh, go. So watch out. I, I, <laughs> watch out Tour de France. I've always thought that I would like to paint, and I've never gotten there yet. So... Um, yeah, we'll see. Plenty of future projects. Okay, so let's go to a staple of this podcast. This is the Wild Business Shoutout of the Week. The Wild Business Shoutout of the Week! This is where we talk about a recent marketing campaign or advertising campaign that caught our attention and then chat about it a little bit. So you mentioned earlier there was something, uh, a commercial you saw recently. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about who it was what the commercial was, and why it made an impact on you? Yes, sir. About the only time I watch commercials is when I'm watching a live sporting event. So <laughs> NFL Sundays yeah. are the time when I have to watch commercials. <laughs> anyway, every week there's usually one or two ads that just pops out and breaks through the clutter, and the one a few days ago was the new Amazon ad with the singing boxes. And uh, Joanne was with me there. We're actually looking at a, at a box now, which I keep waiting for the mouth to move. But <laughs> this ad caught your attention because they basically they basically hijack Christmas in this ad. And, and uh, you're not looking at cardboard boxes or trucks roaming around. You're just looking at holiday spirit being delivered to people. It was fascinating to see how 
uh, all the shots of the people on the street or everyone's looking at these Amazon trucks or delivery people as if it's just filled with gold or uh, it's like, like this is the coolest thing ever. <laughs> and this whole can you see it or can you feel it uh, whispering kind of theme. I, I just think it's a brilliant campaign and it forever changes the way you look at an Amazon box. Yeah, and it really is. You can tell it's it's powerful and it's got that stickiness factor. Shout out uh, Malcolm Gladwell. Because you really, after you see that, you really can't look at an Amazon box again without thinking of that and without noticing that logo and the sort of smile thing right away. I th- There were a few things that, that stuck out to me. One of them was that at the end of the commercial, they didn't say Amazon. They literally just used that symbol, which is the 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 sort of smile shaped arrow thing. And I thought that was really interesting because obviously they're they're one of they're one of the, you know, by any anybody who you ask about business success and powerful influential companies, they're surely one of the first names that come to mind. I think they're one of the first trillion dollar companies. So it's incredible and Beza, you know, that's a whole nother story how successful he's been. But they've they've gotten to that point where they can use an arrow, a curved arrow um, to represent what they are as a company, and they don't even need to put the words there. People just know what it is, and it's a really powerful thing because it is obviously when you, you get something from Amazon, you get a package in the mail. It's something that's on every single one of their packages, so it's a really, really strong branding thing for them. I'm sure they're trying to make it sort of like their their Nike swoosh. What's really cool about the background of that, I think when they when they first started using that. If it's kind of one of these little marketing gems is that if you look, when they have Amazon spelled out and they have that arrow underneath it, they have the A connecting the Z. So it was kind of a, a little Easter egg there to say, hey, we have everything from A to Z. But it doubles as a smile and they're really going in fully on the smile and sort of the mouth and singing aspect of it. But I agree. I thought it was such a powerful commercial out there. And Advertising is so competitive once you get to this holiday timing of year for anything to break through and make an impact is really, really impressive. So they really uh, they really nailed it with that one. All right, so a couple quicker segments here to wrap up. This one is called The Unusual. So we'll get into some pet peeves, some quirks, and some other things and, and weird things here. We all embrace the weirdness and the quirks here. So first question here, Dad, what is your biggest pet peeve? My biggest pet peeve is to walk into a restaurant or bar and have to walk past three or four of those little yellow signs on the floor saying, beware the floor is wet, (laughs) when the floor is not wet. It might have been wet five hours earlier, but some (laughs) idiot has left those out there in the way. So I'm the guy who will move those out of the way. (laughs) I've done it uh, probably a dozen times and not had any negative repercussion yet, but I'm sure one day it is. I did happen somewhere, though. We were in somewhere late recently, and the floor actually was wet. So I've seen one proper use of those things and about 1,000 improper uses of those. (laughs) That sounds like the proper ratio. I completely agree. That ticks me off. I would rather them put up a sign that says the floor is dry than just keep those out there for for that long. But that's a big one. Uh, any other big pet peeves that come to mind? Anything anything that grinds your gears? Yeah, this grinds my gears. <laughs> this is related to restaurant. It's the improper use of music in a restaurant or bar setting. Oh. 
either that it's too loud, but it's usually the wrong style. So, uh, for example, if you're in a, a nice Mexican restaurant and everybody's eating nachos and drinking margaritas and Coronas and mm-hmm. and then you hear Taylor Swift or uh, some <laughs> other loud pop on the radio right. and you're going, what? who's who's in charge of this? Right. Yeah. Um, someone, someone just let their their Spotify shuffle. Yeah, I got a bonus one too, and that's um, sports bars that have sixteen TVs in there and zero staff members who know how to use the TV or put it on an oh HD channel that's to like, find the sporting event that their customers want to look at. That's like every every <laughs> single sports bar we've gone to <laughs> has been uh, a struggle getting a game on. <laughs> how about quirks? So. You know, I, we probably have a lot of these same ones in common, but anything that comes to mind that is sort of practice, common practice for, for us brand setters that other people are just blown away by or like, what? Like, how do you live like that? Or what do you? Well, uh, the first one's probably uh, liking an, an orderly, clutter-free environment. Um, <laughs> um <laughs> <laughs> Which doesn't apply to all brand centers, but it's some of it. <laughs> no, it's just I don't I don't I don't like to see that. And the way the world is, you marry into the opposite. Uh, <laughs> oh God! The, Subtweet here. Yeah. So uh, so <laughs> we just be, lost a listener. Beware. Any, any other quirks besides the cleanliness? As I as I wipe this stain off this table. <laughs> well, it comes from my dad, by the way. Uh, and Not we, the stain. We, the, uh... <laughs> right. We refuse to brand it as OCD. It's just a need for it's uh, orderliness. Anyway, yeah. two more things. Number one, this is kind of falls in the category of weird stuff. I may be the only person. I'll wear my hair in different directions. Like today, I got a reverse part going because I've got this crazy ass cowlick, just like you do. And yeah. at a certain point in the it's hair swirl. growing process, it gets uncontrollable. So I'll go the other direction, and uh, it is amazing how few people notice or comment on that. Yeah. which is kind of a it's 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 kind of an interesting thing. Yeah, I had never really thought about it. Yeah. I know I know you got you got some waves, and the the colics run deep here at the yeah. Brandstetters. But so that's that's kind of an odd thing. <laughs> and uh, the other thing is, I'm holding a crayon in my hand. I, I like crayons. <laughs> uh, I don't think anything bad ever happened to anyone when they were coloring or holding a crayon but um it also it it just feels different than than a pen or a sharpie so sometimes i use that for highlighting purposes i went without crayons for about a year and a half and and i really miss them and i and i have them back and i'm happy about that i back to creativity i have found sometimes if you go and you get one of these books like with the large blank sheets of paper like kids use in elementary school mm-hmm. and a box of crayons is sort of like a mini uh, poor man's whiteboard and right. you can just the ideas seem to flow easier mm-hmm. in that environment than when you're sitting down with a line notebook paper or, or or just sitting at the typewriter so yeah that's my hippo tip for today <laughs> shout out hippo tips well sorry to ruin the surprise but i'm gonna have to get you like seven thousand crayons all uniquely colored for your birthday next year so that would be a good okay give you a new, 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 way, new way to spend your time <laughs> okay last last part here let's do phrases i we, we've talked about freddie a lot my grandpa fred your dad and for anybody that hasn't met him he's got a strong southern accent um and he's got a lot of sort of sayings or phrases one of them that comes to mind is the don't stick too many beans up your nose 
But I know there's there's plenty more like that. Are there any other ones that come to mind, sort of Fred-isms, and he, you've probably heard way too many times growing up? <laughs> well, here's two of them. Um, one was also farm-based, uh, is when you were saying goodbye to somebody, and instead of saying good luck or be careful out there, he would say, tell your folks to sow barley, which... <laughs> Makes I need a translator for that. <laughs> no, no sense at all. But it was a piece of good advice. Okay. The other thing was uh, when you have something that really surprises you, he would go, "Well, saw my legs off and call me shorty." <laughs> That's a classic. Oh, I love that one. <laughs> Not to be taken literally. All right, let's wrap up here with some rapid fire Q and A. Are you ready for this rapid fire? Because we're gonna, we yes. are both going to struggle to avoid the tangents on this. But yes, we'll have to try <laughs> to have a tangent free, tangent free rapid fire. What is the best concert you've ever been to? Uh, there have been so many, but I would say my first answer is this was around 1982. Rolling Stones, Santana, and Iggy Pop at the Pontiac Silverdome. What is your favorite sports memory as a viewer? Well, two years ago was when the Cavs beat the Warriors. So Yeah, shout out. <laughs> Cleveland got a championship. I would think that was it. Before that, it was the 1995 Atlanta Braves World Series victory and the 81 and 87 <laughs> Indiana National Championships in basketball. There we go. How about favorite sports memory as an athlete, as a player? Probably my senior year in high school when we won the sectional and regional and got to the final eight of the state. That was a nice run. We just had a lot of tremendous times together as a team, and um, you know we didn't have any professional players on that team. But we worked really hard, and everybody pulled together, and it was a lot of fun. It was fun when it happened. Mm -hmm. It became more fun in retrospect, so... Uh, well, I did hit a home run once, but uh, I didn't get the press in the paper because <laughs> Victor Singer threw a one-hitter. Well, <laughs> here is your press. It's now immortalized in podcast form. Greg Brandsitter's home run. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, how about – you mentioned earlier how much we've traveled as a family and how many trips you took us on, which, which oddly enough, you know, maybe not coincidentally, usually – tied into uh, seeing uh, one of our favorite baseball teams play in baseball field here. But um, it, it could be that. It could be completely separate from that. What is your favorite trip that you've ever taken us on? Well, I'm going to answer this in the context of the whole family uh, because Andrew wasn't with us on your London thing. Oh, yeah. I uh, Probably the Costa Rican trip, uh, and Mindy was part of that too. That, yeah. We did a lot of advanced planning. We went to a world that none of us had ever seen before, and every mm -hmm. single day we did something really cool and different. And uh, even the day where it poured down rain, this ties back into the business side, but we're there on a, a pouring down rain, sitting poolside under a tin roof, and, and uh, Mindy and I have got our laptops out, and we're working, and you guys are sliding down a wet pool slide, and, <laughs> and we're just having vacation time and staying in touch with work. But even something like that, it's like, okay— we're going to make the best of whatever is, but, you know, we, we, we ate termites. We, we went through the rainforest. We oh, yeah. went over the rockiest road ever. We carried luggage across the beach and up a hillside. Oh, my God, yeah. Um, and we, we did about 20 things that week, and so I, that's a perfect example of, 
you never know uh, what's going to happen. And here's a, here's a note relative to Andrew that is also grown in family lore. The uh, weird 15-minute trip across the street to the butterfly farm <laughs> still haunts him to this day because uh, he was not comfortable in there. And uh, he claims it's because he couldn't track their flight. So it was <laughs> they were too asymmetrical for his brain. <laughs> Oh, my God. So even something like that, uh, that's probably, I'm going to tell a story about butterflies at his wedding someday. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and we would have never done that anywhere else. Yeah. Yeah. And I was and I was in the butterfly garden with him. I can vouch for that. It, w- uh, it was very un- unsettling. It's, it's hard to be comfortable in there because they are so unpredictable. It's, kind of, it's one of those things that you think of a butterfly, you don't think, oh, that... That's a scary thing, but uh, I w- I was a little you know off kilter there, but he was really struggling. He was he was he was going through a lot there. I'm sure he never wants to see a butterfly again. But that was a fantastic trip. Last question here. I know you've seen a few of them. What is your favorite movie of all time? The Godfather. <laughs> the Godfather. <laughs> all right, that was rapid fire Q and A. Dad, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I know uh, it was a long commute for you this morning. No, but, <laughs> <laughs> no, but really, uh, thank you so much for taking the time. This is this has been really special. It's been something since you know since these early days when we were ideating and coming up with this this vision for this podcast. We knew at some point we'd get you on there to be some sort of father son combo here, and it's really cool to interview you as as this week's entrepreneur and have these get the hippo direct story and the family tie. So thank you for coming on and, uh, and for, for anybody that's not, that wants to learn more about you and see what stuff's going on in your world and in our world, what is the best place that people can connect with you? Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn at Greg Brandstetter or on Instagram as GB hippo. I'm conducting an experiment there to see how many followers I can get without posting anything. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but we will bring that to an end soon. Well, you're or, or check me out at hippodirect.com. Perfect. And uh, you want to show your email as well? gbhippo at hippodirect.com, which is an old AOL address. That's how we came up with GB Hippo years ago. So wow. uh, I actually I dealt with that. somebody recently <laughs> who still uses an AOL address, which is really rare. But uh, I guarantee you none of us were thinking back then of, of the – permanency of a business email address no i was back that was back in my extreme maxi days yeah and aol at least i stumbled into some branding there right yeah gb hippo got a ring to it hit him up all right final thoughts the stage is yours what quote or message or anything what do you want to end with here to to bring us home no pun intended Two parts. First of all, for anybody who's thinking about starting a business or in the early stages, the tough stages, you can do it. Uh, I know it's a cliche, but you can do it, so stick with it. And uh, one of the things that always guided me through through those days uh, when you were the small person and wondering whether you could compete with the big companies and the big staff is I never defined them as my competition. I always looked at the clock as my only competitor and that the one area that we're all equal in is this we have the same amount of time in a day and so if you choose to use your time wisely then you're going to get the most out of you so that's my message that the time is really your only competitor mr b out 
And Maxi B back in just for one more minute. Thank you so much, listeners, our wild listeners out there. Go out there and start a business or leave us five stars on iTunes, either one. And extra hippo points if you throw GB Hippo a follow on Instagram. Let's get my dad enough followers on Instagram where he feels compelled to produce hilariously entertaining content. A huge thanks to my dad, me papi, Mr. B, Greg Brandstetter, our president and founder. Thank you for everything, including this podcast interview. All you listeners out there who want to learn more and need any help with marketing or entrepreneurship or starting a podcast, connect with us at hippodirect.com and all of our social media pages. Go to hippodirect.com slash newsletter. You can sign up for the Hippo Digest. It is your weekly recap of creative marketing. That is all for this week. Until next time, let your business run wild. Bring on the bongos! Bongos!